the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Swung on, ground ball to the right side, base hit on to the right field. Here comes Bradley, Ronnie third, the throw by Barfield, and it's going to be in time. The collision, Bradley bowls Martinez over, Thomas will wind up on the third base, Ronnie third, the throw gets by Orge, throw to the plate, and it is in time to get Gorman. Holy smoke, Buck Martinez bowled over. 36 years ago today, one of the most iconic plays in Blue Jays baseball history happened just down the road at the Kingdom, the Mariners and Jays. And, and what you don't get there in the theater of the mind, Raja, with that description, and, I, and I'll fill in the blanks because I remember this well. You, you're too young. You, you don't remember uh, 1985, but it was July 9th, 1985. Uh, Phil Bradley runs over Buck Martinez. Uh, that doesn't sound all that impressive. Yeah, the collision. But what happened was on that collision, uh, Buck broke his leg. So while lying on the ground in pain, uh, Gorman Thomas went for third base and Buck threw it there and it went out into the outfield. The ball went to George Bell, who then threw it home. A Buck Martinez with a broken twig on his derriere gets the ball and uh, Gorman, who uh, went home, uh, wasn't the fastest of runners, Gorman Thomas, and Buck ended up tagging him out, and I think Thomas didn't want to run over Buck for a second time. But literally, he's he's down and out with a broken leg and finds a way to make a play. Uh, a super incredible feat of uh, tenacity, strength, endurance, and, and craziness for Buck because that, that play ended up ending uh, Buck Martinez's season. This is uh, one of those videos that I've watched many times on YouTube. C-Mac obviously was not uh, old enough to watch it uh, live and in color on television back in 1985. However, uh, frequent visits to uh, YouTube to watch this quite often and no, it's it's an incredible play and you're right I don't think that he wanted to, to go over him the second time because you can see the hesitancy in him right after he goes to home plate and gets gets tagged out. And uh, joining us now from Toronto is uh, Josh Goldberg, the host of Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And, and Josh, I just played the clip coming in of the uh, 36 years ago today in Seattle, Buck Martinez run over at home plate and uh, breaks his leg but still manages to make a play. One of the most incredible things I've ever seen on a baseball diamond. Yeah, uh, truly incredible. Yeah, you just don't see. Well, I guess they got that out of the game, right? The the collisions at home plate uh, after Buster Posey broke his leg a couple of years ago, and I totally get why you want to protect your catchers and stuff like that. But yeah, you just like that's I guess probably Buck's one of Buck's big claims to fame as far as his playing career. And yeah, I, I outside of his broadcasting career, if you could really have one indelible image of Buck Martinez uh, on a baseball field. It's that playing the tags, like as he's got the broken leg, still tagging somebody rounding a uh, home plate, just a, uh, yeah, absolutely incredible play. Uh, and Josh, I'm, I'm sure Buck's pretty happy along with Dan Schulman that they can now call games with uh, George Springer in the lineup for the Jays and the Jays right in the thick of it for those out here in Vancouver have been paying attention. And there was an interesting um, uh, interaction, uh, let's say with George and a young fan and, and some batting gloves that was caught 
and uh, George turning to the the young kid and say, "Hey, you got to promise me one thing." And the boy said, "Yeah." He says, "Always do your best and and don't ever quit." Is that the model the Jays are going to use uh, here moving into uh, the later part of the summer as they try to push for the postseason? I think it's got to be right because right now the odds are I wouldn't say that they're long, but uh, it's definitely less than fifty percent that they're going to make the playoffs and. They've done a nice job. They had a kind of a softer part of their schedule in the middle of June and leading up into the all-star break of about 20 games. And they're 11 and six right now through 17 of those 20. And the Rays are always tough. They're the team, one of the teams that you need to catch up to if you want to put yourself in a position to be there for a wild card and close the gap on the Red Sox. And you look right now, I believe they're five and a half back of the Rays and they're three and a half back of Oakland for the second wild card. There's teams in the mix. You know, the Yankees are there. The angels are are lurking around. Seattle is also uh, right in the mix as well, but the Jays have a lot of talent. So you like, it's not really, they shouldn't be looked at as some sort of underdog, right. With long odds or, or like a puncher's chance. They should be in a good position with the talent that they have. They've addressed the bullpen somewhat. I think they still need to do more work. They could use another starter, but the, the quality of talent that they have in their lineup, just it really gives them a chance on any given night. And if they could find a way to take two of three this weekend against the Rays, then head into the all-star break you know, with some momentum, winning against a team that's above you in the standings, then I think that could really set them up from a mindset and confidence perspective to be feeling really good. They got a lot of guys going to the all-star game in Colorado, then come back for a series next week uh, in Buffalo against Texas and maybe be able to hit the ground running in the second half of the season. Josh Goldberg, our guest, host of Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590, the fan here on Bick and the Boss. Uh, Josh, we would expect Toronto to be buyers heading into the trade deadline, but, you know, I think a lot of people were happy last year at the acquisition of a guy like George Springer. There's, you know, you mentioned it, relief pitching, third base probably as well. There's some help that the Toronto Blue Jays definitely need, but where do you see them? in on a player like Nelson Cruz. We saw the report come down yesterday that the Jays might be interested. Where do you see Nelson Cruz bidding in on the Jays? So in, in a perfect world, you would trade for, for Nelson Cruz. So no questions asked. I, I, I always hear that, you know, when you have a great offense and, and your pitching is a little bit suspect, well, you got to address the pitching. You got to address the pitching. And I agree with that. You, you always look to improve your weaknesses, but there is something to be said for, enhancing your strengths right right now this lineup is really really good but could it always be better absolutely and nelson cruz makes you better he's i know he's 41 years old but he's still a well above average offensive player and if he comes in and cleans up and plays designated hitter then you know maybe that frees you up to trade somebody like a lourdes Gurriel jr or randall gritchick that might be a possibility or just like gives you more depth and gives you more options. And there's just something to be said for scoring a lot of runs to get yourself in a position to make the playoffs. That might not be the, the best recipe for success in the way baseball is played these days in the playoffs, right? You need to score, but pitching really is the backbone of any good playoff team, right? Starter starters and bullpen, especially. And the Jays, I think, still have some work to do if they really want to be a legitimate playoff type of team in terms of pitching. But if you want to get to the playoffs and put yourself in the best possible position to do so, I'm an advocate for enhancing your strengths, making what you do really well better. And I don't think the cost would be that that high because 
Nelson Cruz is a DH only, so you're cutting half the league off in the National League. And uh, you know, like how many contenders would say, yeah, we want a DH only? I just think you're probably looking at, you could count it on maximum one hand. And as a, a rental, I just would be really curious to see what the cost would be. And I really don't think it would be all that high. Well, you Josh, mentioned... you... Oh, sorry, Roger, go ahead. Sorry, Josh, you, you mentioned that the, the Blue Jays wanted uh, to, you need to bolster that bullpen. How aggressive do you expect them to be in doing so? So it's a good question because they've already addressed it somewhat, right, with Simber from the Marlins and Trevor Richards a couple of days ago in the trade with the Milwaukee Brewers. But like, those are more floor-raising moves, and, and the bullpen needed the floor raise because the floor was like at the bottom of the ocean. It was so low. But now they've got some guys who can actually come in and throw strikes and get outs, which is nice. But I still think that in the eighth and ninth inning, you have a closer in Romano who gets the job done, no question about it. But you know, Merriweather, who knows when he's going to be back. Like Ryan Barucki's getting close, but he's not exactly a flamethrower. They need somebody who can miss back at an elite level. And that would be the, the best target. Craig Kimbrell would make a lot of sense. The Cubs are going to be selling, and he's got another year left on his deal at $16 million. I just wonder how they're going to approach possibly the rental market for relievers because both Simber and Richards have control. I just think that we're going to see what happens here over the next couple of weeks. The deadline, I think three weeks today, exactly on July 30th. And if the Jays can make up some ground in the standings and look like they're in a much better position to be a playoff type of team, then that might change the calculus a little bit in terms of what this front office might be prepared to spend on really any reliever, whether it's somebody who has some control or uh, a pure rental. Yeah. And, and when we're still on the topic of pitching, I look at the starters and who might be available and the price is probably going to be really steep to go out and get anyone. Do you get a sense that it's a matter of how close they are, or where they're at, that they would actually pursue that? Or are they kicking the tires on, on trying to bring in another uh, starter as well? I would think so, honestly. And when it comes to that, a rental starter, I don't see any, any plausible way that they're going to look to do that. That's never really been the M.O., of the front office. I know Robbie Ray last year was a rental because he was a, a pending free agent, but his value was just so low that it was basically a dartboard throw when they made that deal with Arizona. And he wasn't great last year. He had a good appearance in the playoffs against the Rays. And then they brought him back. And obviously it's been gangbusters and he's been probably their most consistent starter all year. But if they're looking to make a deal for a starting pitcher, I really think it's somebody who has years left uh, on their contract or years left of control. And, and the one guy that I really continue to, to really circle in on and come back to as I, as I really look at all the available options is Kyle Gibson from the Texas Rangers. He's changed his makeup a little bit. He's throwing a cutter, which he's, re, he's introduced into his arsenal this year. And it's led to a really, really good season. He's had one of the best ERAs in the American League, the best at points in the season. He's not a, a super high upside guy. He's over 30. He doesn't strike that many guys out. But this, this uh, rotation just continues to need stabilizers, guys who can provide quality and length. And he's pretty much going to give you six-plus innings every time he takes the baseball. And there's value in that. And With another year left at about $9 million, he really would be the most realistically attainable option that would check a lot of the boxes I think this front office is looking for in terms of a starting pitching target. 
Josh Goldberg, our guest here on Bick and the Boss, host of Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590, The Fad. Josh, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and sort of look around the uh, look around the entire league. Shohei Otani has been a treat to watch this year. Uh, in your eyes, is he a is he a unicorn type of player, or could this be the start of something new with the way he's been playing? I, I like I've I've been thinking about this. If there are other two way type players, I guess Brandon McKay and the Tampa Bay Rays organization has made it to the major leagues and and hit and pitched at the major league level. But I just don't think that this is something that you can look at and say, well, this is the beginning of something special or or a transition or a new era where you get two way stars. I just think we see so many pitching injuries and right there's so much emphasis on rest and recovery and maximizing your performance and keeping that in tune with the performance of your body. And Otani is like a physical freak. And obviously the talent is obviously freakish too. So I just think it's dangerous to say, well, Otani made it as an all-star as a pitcher and a hitter. So maybe this will inspire others, uh, you know, to pursue it. And maybe we'll see more of this. I think we'll see more trying it. But in terms of actually having anywhere this level of success doing both in Major League Baseball, I really like it's been 100 years or or so since Babe Ruth did it for a reason. I just think you're talking about a once in a lifetime potentially type of thing here. And I just think it's unlikely to expect anyone in the foreseeable future to do it anywhere near this level. And Otani's got to back it up, right? It's one great year. The test will be, can he do it year after year and stay healthy and stay performing? Yeah, and really, Josh, he has to keep a certain baseline, doesn't he? I mean, he's hit a a number of home runs and he's pitched really well. But if if one of those things starts to slide a little bit, then do you not, as the skipper, kind of go, hey, listen, you got to focus in on one of these things as opposed to doing two things not very well. Let's do one thing extremely well. Yeah, I would think that if there's ever any, obviously injuries, number one, but just like it's, he's not sharp for whatever reason, right, inconsistent. And I would think that if there was going to be a choice, it would probably be uh, hidden. Like I know that outfield is not really a position he's going to play. He's probably going to be a DH, and that kind of cuts down some of your value, right, because he's going to be looking in the next couple of years to strike at risk, right, and, and sign his, his next big contract. And if he's able to do both, that's going to put him in a position that we've never seen before. Like, I honestly wouldn't even know if he's performing anywhere near this level and is a pending free agent, how teams would approach a Shohei Otani contract to play, to pitch and to play a, a position to and hit. So I think that like, he's going to look to do it for as long as possible. But if there's ever a point where, you know, like it, it, it's just not something that's all that realistic or he's struggling or there's injuries, then I would expect uh, hitting will be the focus and pitching will go on the back burner like we saw last year. Yeah, we can only hope, I guess, for the Angels that, you know, Trout can kind of put something together and they can, you know, show their stuff as a, as a dynamic duo. Just speaking of stars, Otani being one of them, um, your thoughts on the Blue Jays and the All-Star Game, which is uh, coming up next week on Sportsnet Television, on the Fan 590, and also here in Vancouver on Sportsnet 650, just the fact of, you know, the Jays getting that many players involved and, and how good that is for the organization and young baseball fans and just getting people across the country excited about this baseball team. 
Well, I think it's a really good sign for anyone who had doubts about the Blue Jays, right, in terms of free agents or trades or anyone looking at Toronto as a possible destination. It's for so many years been this like sort of taboo that, well, the Jays don't sign free agents. Free agents aren't interested in different currency and taxes and coming up to Canada. And you saw this is a team that hasn't played in this country at Rogers Center in almost two full calendar years. And yet the fans are so passionate about the team and the players that they voted three in. Vladdy was obviously deserving, and Marcus Simeon was also deserving because he's probably been the best second baseman in the American League this year. But Teoscar Hernandez might have deserved to be an all-star reserve, but the fact that this fan base is so passionate about the players, and this is such a fun, exciting, homegrown type of team, the fans really got behind these players and voted them in, and then Bo Bichette got in as well. And if they continue playing at a, at a pretty high level and these guys continue developing their young talent, then I think it's going to start to be more of the norm that players like George Springer and Marcus Simeon are going to decide to sign here, right? If somebody else makes a competitive offer, but the Blue Jays are also in the mix, then they might say, you know what? Toronto's got something really special going. I want to be the only team in the country. I want to have the entire country supporting me. This is where I want to go. And I think that you couldn't have said that, like, honestly, even in 15 and 16, it didn't feel this way. This just really feels like the, the jumping off point of something really special for, like, maybe the, the entire decade. You uh, mentioned 15 and 16, and, and Josh, we'll, we'll let you go now, but I, I just want to point this out that in 15, the Friday before the All-Star break, the Jays were in fourth place, uh, but had a plus 79 run differential, which is, I think, about what they have right at this moment, and were better than what their record indicated, and that's when Anthopoulos went out and got Price and Tulowitzki. So we can only hope that the big moves are coming, buddy, and that the, the Jays are going to load up here and get in the postseason. Yeah, I, I, I sure hope so. Yeah, they're plus 79, and the Rays are plus 78. So, you know, like, the bullpen has, has blown some games, no question about it. But you can see over the past couple of weeks, I think this front office recognizes that this team is positioned to go on a run with the, the lineup that they have. And you just you don't want to waste a special season like the one we're seeing from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So I fully expect three weeks today from today that the Blue Jays will look different than they do now, and there will be more impactful players on this team uh, to help make a run this year. And I also think players who will be around next year and beyond to help this team you know, get to the level that they want to get to. Josh, appreciate the time. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, fellas. Have a good weekend. Uh, there's Josh Goldberg, host of Jays Talk on Sportsnet 590. Some interesting uh, nuggets there, Raja, about the Blue Jays. And, and, of course, the Major League Baseball All-Star game is littered with Jays, and you'll be able to hear that right here on Sportsnet 650 next week. And um, if we throw it back to hockey here quickly, Raja, we have some soccer talk coming up uh, very shortly with Michael Finley. Uh, Nikita Kucherov signs a deal with Bud Light. Uh, yay or nay? I mean, Kucherov really did steal the spotlight, did he not, with that post-game rant and shirt off and, and so, uh, I'll say, un-Russian-like where he was vocal, <laughs> demonstrative, and, and in, in a lot of ways highly entertaining. 
Well, that's what a few pops will do to you. But C-Mac, if I show up to work the way that Nikita Kucherov did, like I don't think I'm getting any sort of promotion or sponsorship, am I? You like, never know. You never know. Don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, what's the? I've got to go to Nikita Kucherov for some tips on how we can, you know, on how, on how to get a sponsorship out of this because you're right. Like he, it was just such a short time, right? Like they're on the ice the entire time celebrating, and then he goes to the back for a few minutes, and all of a sudden when he comes back out for the press conference, it's like a complete 180 as to what we were expecting to get out of Kucherov and most NHL players. But I guess uh, when you're celebrating. Uh, you know, you only need a couple of minutes for uh, it to go from one pop to uh, a handful, I guess. Yeah, and, and he had mentioned how in that post game, you know, not only was he telling everyone that Vasilevsky and Vasilevsky himself was the best <laughs> player, but that he hadn't been sleeping all that much. So maybe, maybe not a lot of sleep, but not a lot of carbs, and and the the uh, Bud Light went to his head, but. You in my tricks. opinion, you know what, Raja, the, the, this is what the NHL needs a little bit more of, um, kind of some showmanship, some bravado, and I'm not advocating people getting drunk and saying stupid things, no, but what I'm saying is is that we'd, we'd love to see the character and the personalities of the player a little bit more as opposed to that 110% pucks in deep uh, yeah. cliche stuff that we get normally. Well, uh, look what it's going to lead to. The next time Nikita Kucherov and the Tampa Bay Lightning are in Montreal, Kucherov is probably going to get booed heavily, right? Those Habs fans were pissed off at Kucherov, and uh, it just sets up another intriguing game at the Bell Center next year. So, you know, the storyline kind of writes itself, and uh, when you have that kind of outspoken personality, I'm kind of with you. You don't want to hear it all the time, I guess, but uh, every now and then when you see a player that uh, has that edge and has that... Uh, bravado, as you mentioned, I think that it's a good thing for the league, and, and I'm excited to see the next time the Lightning go down to uh, Montreal. Yeah, there'll be a few boos for him and Sergachev, who always gets booed, uh, as yeah. we found out in the playoffs. Uh, shout out to to Nikita Kucherov, who now will never have to buy another Bud Light in his entire life. Uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good thing, though. <laughs> yeah, we that that's a that's a debate for another show. We need Joe Leary, the beer guy, on here to to give us a a, a taste test and and a report card on the Bud Light. Lots more to come here on uh, Bick and the Boss. Raja filling in for Bick C Mac here as usual, and uh, soon to join us, Michael Finley, the head coach of uh, Grenada, getting ready for the Gold Cup down in Houston, and he's also the former head coach and assistant coach of the Canadian national men's team. Uh, some news about Alfonso Davies and the Gold Cup. We'll also talk Euros with uh, Mike when he joins us. That and a whole lot more when Bick and the Boss continues on Sportsnet 650. I think I just about threw up. Craig McEwen here, Raja Shurgill on the uh, Bick and the Boss show. Bick Nazar off today and Joel Gadet uh, working the boards. Uh, Raja, here's, here's the thing. You know, I, I love to be poked and prodded. I, I think I'm a pretty laid back boss, but you know, Joel is, you know, thin ice there, you know, maybe not working so well in his career by playing that garbage. We have to listen to it's coming home to England. Oh my goodness. That's uh, so annoying. You know, the, the, the English cheating with laser pointers, they, they <laughs> have to be at home. They're getting, you know, booing the national anthems. I, oh man. Oh man. Raja note to self when you, when you want to take a shot of the boss, fine, but don't mess around when it comes to England. Cause in this Euro uh, tournament for me, anyone but England. 
I should uh, point out too. I'm not even an English side supporter. I just like uh, ribbing you a little bit, a little bit there, C Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I for for me, C Mac. Uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with England, the team. Uh, that being said, I'm a Italy supporter. I've been an Italy supporter ever since uh, I watched my first ever World Cup back in 2006. I was cheering from for them from the beginning. I can't really tell you why, but that was the team that I chose uh, as a 10-year-old or however old I was. Uh, and ever since then, they've been my uh, international uh, football squad. And uh, so I am fully on board for Italy to uh, knock off England. Uh, so that also, also uh, not scoring points with me either, Joel, with that uh, intro there. <laughs> I, I I listened to it, and, and I hear you say that about uh, cheering for the Azurian. I can't help but wonder if Dan Riccio had got you and uh, oh, said, no, hey, no. We, ne- we need some more people on board here. <laughs> no, I, I, well, Riccio, def- we definitely do need some more people on board. I think the 650 fraternity here is mostly on, on the English side, right? We've got Brendan Batchelor, oh, yep. uh, the Halford and Bruff in the morning. So there's uh it seems to be a lot more england supporters however no riccio did not get me I'm, i've always been on uh italy's side i actually i dug out my old 2006 world cup italy jersey it was uh like almost in the basement and under like a bunch of boxes i was able to dig it out uh and i, I did wear it to work one day i think i made riccio proud nice was there anyone back then that you uh admired uh or or were you just too young you just had the the jersey and no name on the back there's no name on the there's no name on the back. However, uh, Buffon, obviously the goalkeeper, was one of my favorites. Uh, and how can you not like Andrea Perlo? Yeah, very very good. I, I, I'm I thinking Italy, although they have some good finishers that are, are would would love to be able to put a Pirlo in in the side this weekend. Big times over in Europe, also big times down in uh, Houston, where our our next guest joins us, Michael Finley, the head coach of Grenada. Uh, former national team coach here in Canada as well. Uh, Michael, it's a pleasure. Um, I just will start by saying, I guess coaching a, a national team is a little better than coaching the West Van Highlanders uh, back in the day here. Yes. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Come on, give the Highlanders a break on that one. Yes. Especially when, especially when you were in the starting eleven. <laughs> that's how bad we were that's yes <laughs> that you had to play me in the starting 11 yes good how are things good 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 how how are things going with your side as you get ready for the uh, gold cup uh, next uh, tuesday i believe you kick things off with a, a very tough match against honduras yeah things are things are, are progressing um it's it's a different gold cup than the ones that i've been used to uh, from a from a preparatory point of view, because we've had some we've had some challenges that are you know COVID based in terms of of restrictions of, to travel uh, for some of the players that represent Grenada. Uh, we've had some visa issues with players having to enter the United States. So there's, these are these are things that are um, quite typical for Caribbean football. Um, but in terms of our overall prep, it's it, it's been good. Um, we've got a full squad here as of yesterday, and uh, uh, we've been in Houston since uh, the beginning uh, of the month, and uh, and we're uh, progressing positively. We hope. Michael, uh, speaking of the Gold Cup, uh, we know that Alfonso Davies is going to miss it with an ankle injury. Davies has really been the face of Canadian men's soccer. What kind of an impact has he had on that group? Oh. Uh, you know, Fonzie's influence is, is, 
it transcends right now. Uh, I think just uh, just the, the the playing side of it. it. It's brought an awareness to to talent identification to Canada. Uh, it's brought an awareness to opportunity um, for such talents to 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 move on to bigger stages. I mean, uh, I've said for many years when I worked for the when I worked for the federation and a number and a number of coaches that I've worked with that. We always felt it was enormous amount of talent in in Canada, but it was opportunity that was missing infrastructure um, and and a, and a real uh, sort of uh, agreed pathway in terms of of how you move players through it. So he he himself has has brought attention to that, and but inside inside the football side of it, and you know he he's an incredible human being in terms of his his personality and what he brings not just to not just to the to to the match format, but also to the training environment and, and, and the team environment. He's uh, headed back to uh, Germany and let's take this conversation now overseas. Michael Finley joining us now, the head coach of uh, Grenada. And, and I know you've been paying attention like the, the entire soccer world of the tournament. And we'll get to the, the final in a minute and, and my distaste and hate for England. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you, your your thoughts on this tournament, you know, which started quite tragically and, and luckily, you know, Erickson was able to, you know, bounce back from all accounts. But just from start to finish, the, the quality of the matches, the, the intrigue, the incitement, what are your takeaways from uh, this European championship? Yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on. I mean, I don't think many people in in uh, professional sport uh, experience uh, potential tragedy that we saw, and it all being played out in front of us. Um, and and as you say, uh, you know, all great thoughts uh, ended in, in in a positive situation. Um, but once once we moved on from that, um, I think what we've seen is uh, once again the the game has become incredibly uh, global uh, in its uh, in its uh, delivery of quality and and potential you know over the years you know you guarantee teams being in in quarterfinals and guaranteeing teams in semis and so on and so forth and I think what you had is you had a number of teams that uh, displayed talents and 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 application that, that you wouldn't have been uh, used to seeing and I think that's a, a credit to what's happening in the game and the development in these in some of these smaller nations uh, and some of the nations that, that are, are, you know, part of the European infrastructure, but, um, you know, haven't really performed, um, uh, you know, on a consistent basis. The Switzerland's are one of those, the Denmark's are one of those, uh, Ukraine to a certain extent. Um, and I think also the other thing is just the, the, the talent pool that continues to be churned out in, in the, you know, in the center of the football development world, which you have to say does revolve around, around Europe. Um, and you see these, the, the Pedris of Spain and the Doms Guards of Denmark, and uh, uh, you know you you're, you're hopeful that you're gonna you're gonna see uh, a greater number of players coming through in the years to come. Well, it's Italy taking on England in the uh, Euro Championship game on Sunday. Uh, when they are going to take the field and look across the pitch, what do they fear most of the opposition in your eyes? Well, I think I think you the. I think Italy, uh, uh, you know, you see how they've played. I think what you've seen is you've seen uh, Mancini being able to change a mindset of, of an organization or a federation. Um, and there seems to be a, a mentality uh, change in my mind, what I've seen, in how they apply themselves in the matches. You know, they were that steely, 
defending type sit-in Casanacho. You know, everyone thought Italy defend, Italy defend, win it in PK sort of thing, history. And I think over the last uh, year since they didn't qualify, um, you know, they've changed that mindset. And so I'd say that I don't think they look across the pitch and necessarily fear anything. I think they they would probably be concerned with the fact that it's being played at Wembley. And so there's there's somewhat of a, as you say, the home field advantage that is there, uh, even, they, even though they may use it as a leverage. Uh, I definitely believe they have to be concerned uh, of the combination uh, in the wide areas and, and Harry Kane coming good on, on, on goals uh, in that sort of uh, critical area. And when you look at, you know, the back four and six, you know the central two and uh, and their age. Uh, uh, you know that could be a little bit of a concern. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I sense Italy being very, um, you know, front foot mentality um, and, and wanting to go at them rather than sitting in. Yeah, and, and in my opinion, when Italy has tried to sit in, it, they're very un-Italian. Like they haven't been able to, yeah. you know, yeah. hold hold those leads. They 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 need to stay on the front foot and. You know, you talk about, you know, what Italy has to watch out for. Do they not also have to watch out for the theatrics of Sterling flopping around like a salmon <laughs> on the side of a river bank? What a weak penalty call, Mike. I mean, honestly, and this is a guy that you said, I, describing once as a, my first touch was a tackle. I've seen so worse penalty. What is going on? Like in such a match of that magnitude that that gets called and, and they go to VAR and confirm it. Well, you see, I, I I'm in agreement with you there. I thought it was soft um, uh, to to a degree where where I start to you know my traditionalist um, uh, attitude is is VAR is, stands for video assisted referee. So where was the assistance there? Because I don't believe they gave the ref the best possible situation to make the best call. Um, and it, it, it's football. Um, and as the Spanish say, it happens all the time. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, but if you are going to use the technology at this, at, at this level, uh, and, and Gold Cup is introducing VAR for the first time in this competition, I just think it should be used in a way that is, is giving the referee the best possible chance to make that decision, um, if you're going to use it. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't think it was, uh, it was used in, in, in the appropriate way, uh, uh, given that situation. Yeah, and as much as it pains me, I mean, England was the better side and probably deserved to win, but it was, it was really, really harsh, in my opinion, to see that happen. And then Schmeichel makes the save and, and obviously can't control a rebound off that, and they bang it in. But um, how impressed, though, have you been with, with England, all kidding aside, as much as I hate them? And my, my theme for this one, Mike, is anyone but England. That's what I've been going with, and they just keep disappointing me. But uh, yeah. Southgate and the way he's managed things and the, the young talent that he has, they are an impressive country uh, as much as that pains me to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been very impressed. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity over the last, you know, 12 months. Have, I've actually spent a little time in, in, in the presence of, of Gareth Southgate and to listen to him uh, on a couple of occasions. Um, he's a very uh, pragmatic man. Um, the English FA have, uh, have created a infrastructure around him and around the program over the last number of years that you have to take your hat off to uh, and say that they are delivering on what they are, are, are promising. Um, their youth uh, 
um, development uh, and their and their recruitment strategy as it relates to you know when they introduce players and how they introduce players is proving to to come good with the pe- the people you see, um, and they they really turned themselves into what I would call a tournament team. Um, we always used to marvel at how the Germans uh, were able to manage big events um, and sometimes not be the most attractive team, but they were definitely the best tournament team. And I think I see a lot of that in England right now. Uh, I don't see necessarily um, uh, the best possible lineup on the field. I think there's an enormous amount of talent there, but it's a difficult job for Garrett to, to balance that, and he's balancing it away to make it through the tournament. And, 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 he's, and he's delivered on that because he's put England in a final, which they haven't been in you know, since 66. Since, uh, yeah, and, and when you look at that uh, delivery of players and putting them in their positions, he's been, I'll say, somewhat conservative in the sense that he brings on those attack-minded players a little later. And, hey, you can't criticize the results. They, they've, you know, barely been scored on in this tournament. But do they change who they are going into the final and, and maybe get after it a little bit more against the Italians? Or do they stay the course they have their identity and they continue to to play the way they have and 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 do what they've done so far to date i think they i think they'll stay the course i mean you've seen how they've evolved even through um before the euros um you know they they as i said they're they have a plan um that they have a strategy and they certainly have a methodology to 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 underpin that um and i don't see them changing much he might he might change a, a, a couple, maybe, but I, I, I don't, I don't see him messing with it because I think he'd open himself up, um, not just uh, on the pitch, but I think he'd also open himself off the pitch if he did that. Um, but it's interesting, you know, they, they, they've established themselves. I think both Italy. I don't have the data in front of you, but, but I'm sure if you looked, you know, both Italy and, and England were probably defensively uh, two of the strongest teams in the tournament for sure but they also have shown um you know great ability to to complete when they needed to complete specifically italy um and that's why i was saying about i think i've seen a change in mentality there they've they have a balanced attack on both sides um on the flanks um you know they have players of great quality um that that have a positive mindset so um you know, and they and they don't mind pressing uh, from the front, which which is not something that Italy was was known for, and that's a situation where England's going to have to deal with that. Because if they are going to get pressed uh, from the front, um, you know, they've got to be very very good, um, and uh, you know that that is going to be uh, you know a great test for them. Yeah, and um, you know, Italy has a togetherness too that Mancini's been able to bring in that's been super impressive. So. I'm going to put you on the spot and and ask, you know, so is it Italy or England? Is it is it coming home finally, or will, as much as home field advantage could work for them, is is the pressure of being on the the grand stage at Wembley going to be too too much for England on the weekend? Um, I'm not. I think they've been well prepared just on the on the pressures of it. I I really do believe that part of it. What I what I am concerned about, if I'm speaking from the English side, is is um, uh, have they dealt with a team like Italy in this tournament yet? Um, and and would this be, um, you know, not the greatest time to be tested because you don't have a second chance? Um, from day one, um, I, I liked I liked Italy from the day I saw them. 
um, in the first game. Um, there's something about them uh, right now. Um, and, and I say, take all the data off the table for a moment, just by by instinct and, and gut feeling. I, I feel this is Italy's uh, result tomorrow. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're they're in a good a good place at this moment in time. Uh, from an England point of view, it's all it's all about being tested. But they do have that you know twelfth man in the crowd, and they and uh, you say the whole coming home issue. Even though I loved Schmeichel's comment in the press conference the other day, <laughs> yes, when said, was it ever home? You know, sort. Um, but no, and I'm, I'm as I said, I, I I'm super impressed with with England and how they've set up and and you know the quality of play and how they apply themselves. And I think it's it. What I hope for, you know, T-Mac, what I hope for is I really hope, hope for a good final. I haven't had really seen a good final in a long, long time. And I'd love to see a great final. Just like, yeah, that, that's, like what, tonight. that's what we all hope for. Yes. Yeah. And just like tonight in the Copa America, I hope Brazil and Argentina come at each other. Uh, and I don't know if anybody, because uh, uh, um, I haven't I've been back uh, in Canada for a couple of weeks, but if, if, if someone saw the Argentinian a Columbia game the other night, uh, it, which was an unbelievable game. Um, it was like a boxing match, um, and, but exciting. I hope that Copa America is that way. I hope every all the fans that have been in in their homes watching on TV and now have an opportunity to to go back into the into the stadiums. Uh, I hope they're rewarded by some tremendous football over the next forty eight hours. Totally agree with you. And and when you're describing describing Italy there, I thought uh, Vic was putting words in your mouth for you. So I maybe, <laughs> yeah, I got that. Oh yeah. What you think I'm gonna go against them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Michael, great to catch up. Best of luck at the Gold Cup. Uh, nothing but the success for you in Grenada, and uh, hope to catch up soon. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a great challenge. It's a it's a transitional program and uh, it's, a, it's a young group, but it's it's an enthusiastic group, and we're looking forward to the games because uh, that's how uh, that's how they're going to test themselves and see where they are going forward. So, yeah, great to talk to you anytime. Uh, hello to home, and uh, we will uh, we'll see you next time. Excellent. Thanks very much. That's Michael Finley, the uh, head coach of Grenada, former Canadian national team coach uh, as well, and uh, Raja. Um, Torgi from Langley. I'm on team anyone but England. I, I, I'm full on with you, Torgi. Like, this to me, having to listen to Halford and Bruff and Batch <laughs> and all these English supporters, you know, they're just going to be so arrogant and cocky if they yeah. find a way to pull this off. That I'd much rather take a Riccio in the Italian uh, um, kind of enthusiasm than I would to see the English finally win this. And, and, you know, I, I, I really do hope that, you know, after this game, they're going to keep singing. It's, it's coming home and it hasn't come home. Yeah. At least like reach has got the accents down. He's got the pronunciations down, but at least there's a bunch of different names and a bunch of different sayings. Uh, and you can have some fun with it. It's coming home might be one of the worst slogans I've heard. And for them to repeat that nonstop, if they come out victorious on Sunday, yeah, that's going to be uh, that's not going to be something that I really want to hear. And and on Halford and Bruff, like I've heard that they've even converted Dom to a English supporter. Like, you know, it's just nonstop right now. Dom is yeah. <laughs> listen, I, I'm not going to get into to to Dom and and his ability to be swayed just by the group. But yeah, him going for England maybe just because. 
he has a uh, English jersey in in his uh, in his kit. Is is you know that's he's not English. What is he cheering for the England for? And and uh, <laughs> someone in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty saying cheering for England to win is kind of like cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win. I'm exactly. I'm so right there, Raja. It is like cheering for the Maple Leafs. No, it completely is. And hey. Listen, the Leafs haven't had success in a while. It's kept everybody here in Vancouver happy. Let's let's do the same thing for England. We can only hope, but that is going to be uh, an exciting uh, match. And and as Michael Finley so aptly put, let's hope that the final is very good because sometimes in the these big events, these monumental clashes between countries, it's so defensive, and no one wants to make a mistake. That you know the 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 final doesn't live up to the hype, and it's. It's just, it's never the best game. You'll get a better game in a semifinal, perhaps, than you will a final. No, completely. And uh, even Gary texting in again. Is it just me or is England the equivalent of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yes. Like, I think a lot of people are making this comparison. Absolutely correct, which is why uh, I understand, understandably, uh, a lot of people um, outside of the radio station here, CMAC, seem to be on our side. Yeah, they do. And and uh, Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. Dom is suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. That's what <laughs> happens when you work with uh, Halford and Bruff. Uh, Raja, I really appreciate you stepping up and, and best to Bick. Hopefully he's feeling better. And, and we will be back on Monday here at Bick and the Boss. Uh, and uh, coming up on the People's Show, they have a, a jam-packed show. Uh, ben Lewis is on to talk a little tennis. Uh, unfortunately, Chapeau is done, but an impressive uh, run by the Canadians over at Wimbledon. Yannick Hansen at four, and then Dave Apagnota at five is uh, coming up on the People's Show. But before we say goodbye and uh, welcome you to your weekend and Friday, I do have to get some business in. Hey, golfers, get great Vancouver golf for less. Go to discountgolfcard.ca for all the details to order your Vancouver discount golf card today. That's a wrap for Bick and the Boss this week. Thanks again for Roger for filling in, Art for producing, Joel for ruining my afternoon by playing that damn coming home song but let's hope it's not coming home and on monday we're talking about a big win by the azuri this is craig McEwen signing off have a great day this has been bick on the bus and the home of the canucks sportsnet 650